Hello and welcome to another happy edition of Hammers Pod. Yet again, another West Ham win. Joined today by Richie, Adam, Gary. How are you boys doing? Good. Happy. The Hammers. What a game. What a performance that was. Uh, yeah. Rich, we, we were there. So I'll, I'll pass the floor to, to Adam first and, and Gary. Adam, what was your overall thoughts of the game? Overall, I thought it was fun. It's what we've been missing for a while, especially the second half. We've been talking about the style of football for a while and, and the second half really was that sort of end-to-end, back and forth, could have lost it, probably wouldn't have been that gutted if we did because we really went for it. So the first half was a bit of a, a nothing burger of a, a half, but I really enjoyed the second half and I thought showed resilience, showed that we actually really went for it and yeah overall it's the second game in a row where i've actually enjoyed a lot of the elements of the performance but i don't know adam if that you felt the same watching that yeah i break the first half down um i'm going to speak about everton first of all actually and to say i think we was linked with dice a couple of years ago when boys uh originally went and i'm so glad we didn't get dice in because looking at it, 90 minutes or whatever it was of that was an awful watch especially the first half was anyway they're so direct um, didn't really try and string any passes together. Um, second half, oh, second half, I felt that we let them play too wide at some points, and that's when they started playing uh, with a little bit of tempo. And that's obviously where the goal come from, wide areas as well. But us in the first half, I thought we was okay. I thought we defended all right, limited them to chances, and that's why I was saying to people that if they scored the penalty, it would have been an injustice because I don't think they deserved anything at the first half. Um, didn't create anything. And then, yeah, the second half, a little bit of a cut feel at some points as well, because, um, yes, they probably then did deserve to go one new up because they come out the better the second half. Um, and then, yeah, we got we go and score three goals, which was which is amazing. Uh, Suchek's goal, whoa, up there for what, one of the goals of the season for me. But he does like scoring at Goodison Park, if you remember back in COVID, uh, another good strike there. And then, um, obviously, Alvarez's one was, was superb as well. Good for him to get finally on the score sheet. But... Um, yeah, all in all, it's a good three points and watching it via the TV. I know we'll probably come to that penalty on Zuma in a minute as well, which would be interesting. But yeah, overall, it was a, a very good three points, a uh, hard place to be. And well done to the uh, travelling fans as well, because on the TV, it was like a library as well. Yeah, we, we were saying that, Rich, we, on, the, on the way home, it was um, it, it was probably one of the better away atmospheres this season. Certainly, it's most vociferous. I think the most, most behind the team it's been this calendar year, um, you know, for the for the whole ninety minutes, even at one 0 down, we were we were still behind them. What was what was your overall thoughts on the game? And then we can obviously go into specific incidents, but your overall thoughts on the on the game, Rich? Yeah, I, I thought I think it, it went a little bit as expected. I think for the first ten minutes, I, I don't think we touched the ball really. Um, Everton came at us, and you have to expect it. Um, there's quite a few Everton fans up there that don't like the way Dyche plays, and they're saying that they don't, you know, they don't enjoy 90 minutes of it. But that probably contributed to the atmosphere yesterday. I thought the atmosphere was was poor, and you don't normally get that at Goodison Park. You normally get a rip roaring loudness. You get something back from the fans. You get banter back from the fans, and there wasn't really any of that. Um, so it kind of helped us really. Um, and like I say, we, we didn't get the ball for the first 10 minutes, uh, and I saw people putting things up on various things saying, Oh, this is Moy's ball, and what's Moy's doing setting up this way? It's like, hang on a minute, 
you've got to expect Everton to come at you. You know, it, it's how you deal with it. And and we did deal with it. Um, and then we started to get a foothold in the game. And then we started to create chances. And then, <clears throat> yeah, Zuma, it's a penalty. I don't know how the referee can't see it when he's five, six, seven yards away from it. And we're all in the stand and we can see it. I just, uh, the referee was awful yesterday and that was one of the worst performances i've seen from from an official and i'm not going to hold back on that there was another occasion where bowen was on the halfway line going to go past a player uh, and we i think we were going to be two on two uh, and he was pulled down it wasn't i don't think he got a, a free kick um and it was a yellow card offense it, it was it was shocking um but the second half opened up. I don't think anyone would have been upset with a one-all because we didn't really create a lot. And we said this on the train, Dave. I don't remember Pickford making a save. I don't remember. Like, Kudus went through and got through two defenders and went round Pickford and he saved it with his leg for a corner. I don't remember Pickford doing much, whereas Ariola was man of the match. So you'll take a one-all, but I, I had I had my my two kids there, and I, and I looked up at the clock at about eighty-four, four minutes, and I said to them both, I said, "There's one more goal in this game. I'm telling you, there is one more in this game. I hope it goes our way, but there is there's another goal, and and that Suchek finish is just sublime. It's just, but again. This is, if I was an Everton fan, this is where I'd be worried about that is because it's come over the whole of your defence. He's managed to chest it. It's bounced. He's had to readjust his body to then get his shot away. And he was still unchallenged at the time of the shot. So that would worry me as an Everton fan. But as as 3,000 of us were, we were quite ecstatic. And Alvarez, Alvarez's run, if you see the clips, He's run from the edge of our own penalty box. He's run from the 18-yard line, and he has sprinted through. We're talking the 98th minute of a game, and he has got—he has kept up with Jared Bowen. Uh, and again, we said it on the train, like, we're just waiting for Bowen to release that ball. And you're like going, come on, release it, release it. Come on, come on, push it. And he, he just held it until the best possible moment just to slide it through and he, and he could chip Pickford so there is a togetherness in that squad they are you know you, you talk about the rumours over the last few weeks and are they listening to the manager and, and how is he setting them up and this that and the other he done a job yesterday for me Moyes did a job he set them up he made them hard to beat and you know they had a couple of clear clear chances that one that Ariola held from the volley from from five yards is outstanding he's got no right to save it he's certainly got no right to hold on to it I thought that was an exceptional bit of goalkeeping um I thought he was going to save the penalty anyway because it was Beto that was taking it he was low on confidence and I thought as soon as he stepped up that was brilliant for me um but we just kept going I, I think the only thing I might have changed when we were trying to force the game was um, when he took Paqueta off for Antonio. I probably would have taken Ward-Prowse off, put Antonio on and played Paqueta in the in the advanced three of that midfield triangle. And then you would have had 
um, either Antonio on the left, or you could have put Bowen out on the left, Antonio through the middle, because down that left-hand side, they were weak. And I felt that needed attacking more. They, they were really weak down that left-hand side. Um, just, just one problem with taking more Prowzer in that, in that substitution is that he'd already been taken off at that point. For, uh, for I during the game. No, during. I meant during at the time we were trying to force it. After about mm. with about half hour to go, the first change I thought when we were trying to get into it would have been War Prowse or Antonio because it was screaming. Antonio would have got longer and would have been able to probably exploit Everton more, and we wouldn't have had to wait until ninety plus one to get that second goal. I think we would have killed the game off earlier. Um, but yeah, that's the only change. At the, that's probably the only change I would have made of the game. To be fair, is War Prowse for Antonio. I think that was the only change. I wouldn't have brought Phillips on. Yeah, you can bring the others on when you're defending the game to see it out. You know, you can bring your Ben Johnson on and that. Um, but the, yeah, I would have just made one change at about 60 minutes, which would have been War Prowse for Antonio, um, and and see because it was a bit of a long time to hold out for me on a one-all, but. We would have taken it. Let's be fair. Did um, with Wall Prowse yesterday, and I've always been a, a Wall Prowse lover. Gary, you watch on the TV, boys. He was at the ground. I actually thought it was one of his worst performances yesterday. And the reason I say that is because, for example, felt he was giving the ball away quite cheaply at times. Um, just after the second half, uh, there was a header that came in. He more or less completely missed it, and the, that was Dwight McNeil that had the shot. I just thought he was a little bit off it. Yes, I don't know if it was a. Uh, I don't know, a little bit of aggression he needed more. And it when Phillips come on, actually think he'd done right. He kept it safe. Phillips didn't didn't give the ball away, which I know he was always going to play that anyway. But yeah, what did you think about Wall Prowse yesterday? I I thought oddly enough that that Prowse did quite well. Mm. Yeah, especially with with a set piece. I mean, that's the first quality corner he's taken. You could make an argument as, from a goalkeeping's perspective that in the six yard box, Pickford needs to come and try and get hands on that, and he doesn't. He stays in his line. But I'll tell you what, Zuma's header, there's one place he can put that. It's an absolute postage stamp in the top corner. If it goes an inch inch higher, it's hitting the bar and coming out. An inch lower, there's a defender underneath it. And he's put it in just the right area. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give Zuma his flowers for that because that was that was an absolute quality header from him. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, it's, it's amazing when you beat the first man and you put a ball into an area where, you know, you can get, you know, big, big footballers running on where they can physically impose themselves. You're you're gonna create situations where you're gonna have an attacking threat, and if the worst comes to the worst, you, you you've got defenders facing the wrong way. That are either gonna to be too afraid to put anything on it, or they're gonna be looking to you know to, to put it back for another corner. Uh, just one thing I thought to touch on obviously with a refereeing performance. I mean there was a there was a clear clear foul on Bowen in the second half. He was through on goal. Brentford coming got nowhere near the ball. Went for him. I thought that was just as stonewall as, as the penalty they were given. And um, you know, he, he didn't didn't give it. There was no no help from VAR. You, you know, I, I would Craig Pawson is such a bad referee, like such a bad referee. Consistently, consistently gets big decisions and little decisions and medium sized decisions for that matter gets them wrong. You know, it's it's not good enough for a Premier League referee. And I, I, for the life of me, I don't see how he hasn't been demoted. Um, one thing we haven't touched on that I do want to touch on was Everton's goal because it is absolutely criminal for Beto to have five, ten yards, probably five, yeah, between five and ten yards around him, free space. That was a good ball, but if if you've got someone tight to him, that's getting headed clear. 
we, we, we made were that far too easy. Yeah, I, th I think at that point, I'm going to come back to the Bowen one. Um, the panel. I, I think he got the ball. Uh, I was right in line with it. I thought he got so the ball. So was I. I didn't, I didn't think he got anywhere near it. He looked to me like um, Brad Price did a cross him and got, just took him out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it looked like he got a bit of the ball for me. Um, but the goal, it came from us with a free kick inside their half, which Paqueta took very quickly, didn't need to, put us under pressure, and we were countered. That's why that's why there was that much space um, because we were on the back foot. You know, we got we got sucker punched by a, a very quick counter attacking goal. There was so much space for for them to get down the right, which was their game plan. I think all game <clears throat> they wanted to attack down, you know, down towards Emerson for some reason. Maybe try to pin him back so he doesn't advance. Um, but that was their game plan. Um, and the cross was was brilliant, and the positioning by Beto was was brilliant. But uh, yeah, someone should have seen the cross coming in and at least got across and battered him. You know, put something on him. Um, you can see the penalty. You can see the penalty. We've already saved one, haven't we? Um, mm. but you probably don't even get a penalty for that anymore because um, you're challenging the ball. Uh, yeah, I, the reason why is we we took a very quick Paqueta free kick, which didn't need to be taken that quickly uh, and we were just done on the counter yeah yeah i think you're right they were trying to exploit that space between zuma and emerson throughout the game really that's how that better chance came in the first half that quick ball into that space um then like you say on that counter they did the same and we just got sucked so far over there was that huge gap between zuma and mavropanos and i think that's why mavropanos lost him but i, I really like that Ghana for everton and i think that that ball was you know that was pinpoint really better had a you know, yeah, sort of on a plate for a minute in some ways. But yeah, we should have probably picked him up and Mavropanos just lost him a little bit. But that's probably Mavropanos' only sort of blot on his game. I thought we had another solid performance. Uh, well, again, there was a couple of um, chances he had to pass the ball and he struggled. And, yeah. and I've said you that on that here before. Yeah. Yeah. I've said if, if he has time to think about a pass, he struggles. And uh, he nearly got caught out once or twice with that yesterday as well. Yeah, I did notice there was there was a desire for him to just keep playing these Steven Gerrard-esque fifty-yard diagonal balls that just didn't need to be played. He he did that a few times. I noticed that, and his communication's got to be better as well. Like he's he's seeing Beto. Beto's running behind Zuma, and Zuma's watching the play from Ghana. Mavropanos has got to either make the move towards Beto's closing down, or he's got to tell Zuma to drop back. Um, if you're going to get a point a finger at anyone, I think for their goal, and it is criminal to give someone that much free free space and he, he probably is Mavropanos in that situation. Sorry, go on, Ed. No, um, I was actually going to say about Mavropanos, and especially in the first half, um, instead of even clearing the ball up the field, there's a couple of times where I think he could either pass it inside or clipped out the channel, and next thing I know, he's clipped it one into the away, into the away end and one uh, over to the uh, completely other side. That, again, is what you say, Rich, is uh, he ain't good enough to pass the ball, so he just clips into the stand, and that ain't no good. Yeah. But, like compare him, I would have a look in the uh, transfer window. Actually, I quite like that Brantwaite. I know we wouldn't get him. Oh yeah, good player. Yeah, yeah, he's got all the attributes. He's having a good season. He's he reads the game well. He's quick. I know he got done by Harlan the other week, which will be sort of fresh in people's mind for that one on one. But for the most part, he's he's pretty solid. Reads the game well. He's pacey. Um, gets a goal every now and then. So he's got all the the boxes of being the next Craig Dawson ticked in my book. But yeah, I like him as well. I don't know if he's going to be that good. 
but uh, Brentwaite is a great example to me for like we've got Kalen Casey in the academy, and I'm sold on Casey. Like six at four, good in the air, good with both feet, composed. Like he's got what it takes. Uh, in terms of raw attributes and his potential, he's got what it takes. I think to go and have a really, really good career. And if you look at Brentwaite, he, he spent a bit of time on loan at Carlisle. I can't remember if he's gone somewhere else. I know he went to PSV. PSV. I don't know if it was somewhere between yeah. Carlisle and MPSV. But he's he's had the right loan spells to go and develop and to become that player that you, you we're watching today. And I would love to see us do something like that with, with Casey to get him to that level yeah. that we're seeing from Jared Brentway because he's got the potential to do it. I'm convinced of it. Obviously, I didn't see Brentway at 17. So, you know, I'm, I'm going by what I've seen of Casey at 17. But, you know, you know when you can see the raw ingredients of a great meal yeah. and Kalen Casey is going to be my chef's kiss Michelin star. Yeah. yeah, it's Blackburn, the other one. Carlisle, Blackburn and then PSV. I just had a quick look. That's the sort of path you want. I, I was quite like, impressed though when the, uh, the subs the subs come on actually. When Bowen went wide, I know obviously Paquette is not a natural winger, but I thought that we had it, it gave us more width and we actually looked more more attacking going that way. And obviously Paquette don't play that role and we don't ask him to play that role, but I don't know what it looked like to you boys as well. But yeah, I thought he was really solid going forward driving up there. Like you said, the left side was weak anyway, but he exploited that area well. 100%. Yeah, you know what you're getting. <clears throat> you know what you're getting with Bowen, and, and like I say, Everton were they needed to win the game. Really, I think they they needed to win. They got their they got some points back last week, um, but we've just taken three back off them, so that's fine. Um, but they they needed to push forward and win the game, and they were just they're not good enough defensively to do that. That they're not good in the recover. Um, they they're just they just leave so much space in 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 the wide areas which we love <laughs> as you know that's 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 you know food and drink to someone like Bowen um he he, he just lapped it up yeah um you know the only thing he was missing is he was a goal he he was he was everyone was good yesterday everyone was on it. And that's good to see, you know, you, you can't go around that squad and go anyone was under under a seven. You can't, you know, there was no there was no fives or sixes. They were all seven upwards. Um, and, and was that because of our way of playing, our togetherness, up for it, whatever? Or was it because Everton were pretty mediocre? Um I'm not sure because they still created a lot of chances and Ariola had to save some. Yeah. So it's 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 a weird one for me. It's really weird. It's quite strange. Yeah, I think Ariola was the difference, wasn't it? You'd be able to tell us, but all I could hear, I could hear a lot of the time the, 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 the Ariola coming through the telly yesterday. But you know, he was the difference. We could have been two nil down and and out of it. And like you say, he makes that save from McNeil and and really shifts the momentum in our favour. So yeah, I think Everton were. They're one of them teams where they were quite passive and they, they just didn't take the chances they did create and it, it just left it open for us. But, I mean, how good was Ariola in general? We've, we've said it every episode, I think, but yesterday was just case in point. He was he was so good yesterday. I was saying earlier, is, is, is there a fair point, fair case now to say Ariola is the best French goalkeeper in history of the Premier League? Because when you think, I mean, it's Fabian Barthes and Hugo Lloris off the top of my head. They're the only ones you could you could say are, are close. Lloris has the longevity but I don't think Larissa ever made the saves or could make the saves that Ariola's making right now. 
Yeah, it can make a lot of mistakes. I think that's just the thing. If Ariola does this for one or two more years, definitely, because I'm struggling to think of anyone um, better than him. Larice was great for about four or five years, wasn't it? and then the errors started creeping in. But if Ariola could be consistent for this for one or two years, he, you know, it could be Francis number one if he, if he carries on like this. I know there's a bit of competition with the AC Milan keeper, but he's just playing that well. Yeah, I mean, shot stopping, he's, he's got to be the best shot stopper in the Premier League currently. Like, I, I don't see other goalkeepers making the quality of saves and, and the number and the quantity that, that he's making on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's a shame we haven't got Billy here for his point of view, but I'd like to see him be a bit more commanding in corners and the yeah. set pieces that come in because I think he does get blocked off a little bit too easy sometimes and I don't think he gets the height that he needs to to punch a ball clear. Um, but what did impress me yesterday, that something that he hasn't done before, is when them shots were coming in low that he couldn't hold on to, he was actually pushing them out in a direction mm. of away. And if you look at him previously, they've come back off him into a danger area. They've gone a bit more central or they've gone to an opposition player. But all of them yesterday, he pretty much he made sure he pushed them out, and they went wide or they went, you know, outside the box type thing. Um, so that was an improvement. But I think for me, yeah, he's got to be consistent. But I think I need to see him just come through players a little bit more. He's just got to, you know, he's just literally takes takes someone out. Yeah, I think commanding his area, speaking to his defence is the other thing. He doesn't do that well. I think there's been a few times where he's just not communicated with Aguero in particular and they're at sixes and sevens. So, yeah, I agree. That's just that that one other thing you like to see him improve. Yeah, they had that corner chance. So he just made an absolute worldy save. I think it was one where it nearly lobbed him, which he had to move his feet quickly, which was really good. They got the corner and it went straight over his head. And fair play to Suchek. I think he was marking and then quickly uh, got himself back to the line and cleared it off there. But yeah, that, he didn't deserve to let in a goal like that. But yeah, them type of things, you you have to not be better if we're, if we're going to push on as well. And he's going to be a better keeper than what he was. Yeah. But um, anyone else get the feeling when Calvert-Lewin came on that the, uh, he was going to break his uh, scoring thing? The last goal he scored was against us, wasn't it? But yeah. I actually think Everton shot themselves in the foot by not playing Calvert-Lewin. I know he's on the drill mm. and I know why they played Beto for the physicality. But there was a bunch of times where Everton were trying to play it quick in transition and Beto slowed everything down. They had like Dakuri, Harrison making runs beyond and Beto's so slow. It's like an oil tanker turned around with a ball. He actually done us a massive favour. So I think if Calvert-Lewin had started the game, he might have found that space. But, um, you know, I know Beto scored and he had that other chance, but a general all-round play, I think he just slowed Everton down a lot. So, um, yeah, it's nice to see Calvert-Lewin not score against us for once. That was so. I was going to say, that's probably done him, done him a bit of a if I had started Calvert-Lewin, he probably would have taken a penalty. He would have hit a better, better penalty than Beto. He then gets his confidence back. And going forward, I mean, looking beyond the, the, the game yesterday for Everton, you, Calvin, Calvert-Lewin's then got that monkey off his back. Yeah, there's a, there's an electrical product called Bico, isn't there? And he played like a big fridge freezer yesterday. <laughs> That's the only similarities. Um, why, why on earth he was picked over over Calvert-Lewin is just beyond me, especially when he needed to win that game. It, it's We talk about seeing team lineups before the game and, and that was one where we've gone, okay, that's, that gives us a chance. 
uh, and it was a strange decision. It really was. Um, but yeah, when he came on, probably that's why I went at 85 minutes. I went, yeah, there's probably another goal in this because he hasn't scored yet. Well, I'm going to be asked. <laughs> oh, you see, 85 minutes, you're saying there's one more goal in this, right? And obviously, you know, last week, I nearly took Tadam into game 3-1, but he stuck with 2-1. So uh-huh. I think it's just me and you, Gary, that were happy when Alvarez scored that third. <laughs> I think them two were kicking themselves. Uh, yeah. No, it was... Um, I was thinking when it was 1-0, I thought, oh, at least... I think I said 1-0 last time. I was thinking, oh, at least my prediction coming in when it's getting into the late one there. I might be able to <laughs> claim some credit. I wasn't thinking about you, Dave, or you, Gary, or you, Adam, when Alvarez scored, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I just want to touch. I, I said this in my fan came out with a game, and I, I said this um, on the Everton YouTube channel on Friday night. But Alvarez, one of them players that you don't notice him when he's there, you do notice him when he's not. And I thought he was superb at just the Corey didn't get a sniff yesterday because Alvarez, Alvarez was tighter to him than his shadow. Yeah. You know, he was just every, and then when he, as Rich said, like he breaks through, he's got the energy, he's got the lungs, he had the hunger to just try and get forward. Yeah, you know, he saw an opportunity, he went and took it, and uh, it was it was so good to see him score. Yeah, so I was so so pleased for him that he's not that not that we signed him for goals, and not anyone's ever going to judge Edson Alvarez for his for his goal contribution. But it's great to see him score. It's great we can always get t-shirts made now. No, yeah. not t-shirts, ponchos. Let's get ponchos made up. I was there when Edson scored. Someone posted a roundup of his stats for the game, and it, it's like so impressive. You see five tackles, five interceptions, four successful dribbles, three clearances, three block shots. Like he's just everywhere, isn't he? I know people say brick wall, they throw that term around for like bang average midfielders like Jake Livermore type or something, but he actually is a brick wall. Like he just he's there all the time. He just doesn't give you a moment's rest, does he? Yeah, I, I said it on the last podcast, and I, I just said what he you know what he gives us uh, and and for me, I said he he was a better replacement than than having Declan Rice in the team. Um, that's not to say that Declan Rice isn't a fantastic player. Not at all. He is he is he's up there as one of the top players, and he will go on to be one of the top players, you know, in, in the country. But Alvarez is just different class, uh, and I'm I'm glad we've got him. Um, like I say, it does give the freedom for the rest to push up to get them to get them late couple of goals that we got. That that comes from having someone like Alvarez in the team. You know, if you, you've got Declan Rice, you, you're worried about not everyone committed forward because it, it's you know it's one extra body. Um, we won't go over it again, but he is just incredible. Alvarez is incredible. He is. We're going to be talking about one of the best defensive midfielder players in the Premier League in the next year or two. He is, for me, he is that good. And they, they don't on the TV either. I don't feel they give him enough credit. What what we all give him, like, and mate, probably because they don't watch him like we do week in week out. But they're quite happy to go on Paquetta or go. He's the next because of Man City are in for him, Kudos, whatever. But. Alvarez is never, and I'm quite happy about that, to be fair, because then yeah. other clubs won't come sniffing. But, yeah. yeah, he doesn't get the uh, the credit that I feel he should deserve. Yeah, that, that's that's media and punditry that probably watch some highlights. They, they, they don't sit and watch him 90 minutes every week. You know, they don't do that. So they're going off clips and what they can find, people yeah. talking about him off the internet. Um, 
So yeah, listen to this podcast, watch him a bit more. You'll see how good he is because because we all know. Watch him in the flesh, and that's the difference, isn't it? The people who kind of are just watching the clips packages, they're not seeing the movement, the way he reads the game, the way he plugs the spaces for the centre halves. Like like you said last time, Richie, like one of the byproducts is someone like Suchek can get on more and be in those positions for the ball to drop to him. And then um I know you described it on your fan cam yesterday, Dave, but I mean that was a brilliant goal, wasn't it? And it, Suchek deserves that. After that block on the line, the, the way he puts himself about, he, I think he really deserved another moment like that. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a shame for him that Ariola played as well as he did because I think Suchek yeah. would have quite deservedly been man of the match otherwise. With Alvarez, cause just to go back to Alvarez and, and the, the lack of media love for him, you've got to, with Alvarez, you've got, like you said, watch him for 90 minutes because you're not going to see the good stuff he does in a three minutes highlights package where you're just, and if you're watching on TV, you're watching the ball. You watch the ball go, you never, you never really pay attention to what anyone else is doing because of the, but when you're there in the flesh, you do see it, you know, you do see it in the ground. And that's why, because they're not, let's be honest, most of these pundits, most of these, you know, are lazy as hell. They're ignorant as hell. They've got agendas and they're not, they're not going to comment on things like that. They're not going to see it the way we see it as honest, educated, passionate football supporters. Yeah. To Adam's point, though, I'm happy for him to carry on under the radar because look at Xiao Polina. Last year, people were hyping him up as that like amazing sort of next big Premier League midfielder. And then Bayern comes sniffing. So, yeah, keep keep ignoring Alvarez. It's fine. They can, um, we'll keep him. We'll have him. But talking about the, uh, going to go back to the referee. I'm, I'm going to throw it in here, sparring in the works. Now, I actually thought Paulson, when we normally have him, he's, he's probably one of the best of a bad bunch. I don't think he's as bad as we're making him out. But what I'm going to say is here, what happened in, why did Antonio get booked when we scored the third goal? Because you probably heard it carry on the TV. They said, oh, Antonio's just been booked in the melee. He was asking the referee something about, I can't remember what it was, but did you know what happened? Yeah. Uh, Rich has got his theory on this. Why I think he got booked for the sink because he was trying to point out to Paulson that we were trying to make a substitution uh, and Craig Paulson doesn't quite know what substitutions are. My thought was that he got done for delaying the restart of a game because he encroached in the centre circle while they were trying to kick off. Oh, yes. Yes. I actually, you're right. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. It did come up on the TV, that didn't it? Did you say that, Gary? Yeah, I, I didn't know what it was for either. I was um, a bit baffled. Of I'm right. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, is, it, this um, is the mad thing, though. Is, uh, he, he gets his yellow card out because Antonio is trying to point something out to him. He booked Pickford seconds before that because Pickford walked five yards out of his area and he booked Suchek for taking his shirt off, which is a stupid rule, but I get. But to go back to like when Bowen should have been, you know, when Bowen, uh, I think it was Garner who made the tackle on Bowen that should have got a booking, didn't get a free kick. The referee played the advantage, which wasn't really there, um, but didn't go back and book him. You know, Brent Pway, I know we, we disagree whether it was a penalty. I thought that was a penalty. And if that's a penalty, that's a booking as well. So it he was inconsistent with his with his cards. I I disagree. You could I I genuinely think Craig Paulson uh is probably the worst referee in the Premier League for me. I can't think of one game he's had where or one good decision he's had against or given for us or against us in any game I've ever seen him. There were there were two more that I wanted to ask that on the telly if they were seen in the first half there was a shout for a handball for us where he put it out for a corner and it looked like he'd leant down into it and knocked it out. I don't know if that was looked at, but also there was a tussle over near the dugout. 
just inside the touchline. Two players went down, and I'm pretty sure that one of our players had his leg tugged, his ankle pulled, um, and I think there was a bit of a – it went down. And he was trying to go to get the ball, and it looked like his leg was pulled. I don't know what how that came across on TV. I don't remember him going into either of them on much detail. I think the VR check must have been quick on the first one because I don't really remember that. I think it might have been Ben Godfrey, the one you're talking about. Um, the second one, I don't I don't remember that either. Well, the only one I do remember just before halftime, and it was near the dugout, is where it was Bowen and Tarkovsky against each other and there was no contact, hardly any contact. And Tarkovsky went down, um, yeah, the six foot, whatever he is, six foot six centre half, built like a, yeah, um, and yeah, the way he went down was soft, but no, them two, I don't remember. Well, I didn't see, I, mean, I do, I maybe it was the arm ball, but I, I don't remember the one on the touchline. Nah. There was also a melee getting the ball, and uh, this is what Phillips got booked for a couple of weeks ago. They were trying to, uh, that's what I mean, they went down, I think there was a leg pull, and then we were trying to recover the ball as well, and they were delaying that. It was all very much all in one incident, um, but I, I I'm sure I saw the leg pull on the other side of the ground. So, no, I think they just sort of glossed over those two on the telly. They didn't really make much of a, a fuss because they're not they're not sticking out. But yeah, he, I think he was just trying to let the game flow a bit, and then at the end got a bit card happy, didn't he? But um, it's just hit and miss with refs in it every week. It's, I, I'm struggling to think of any particularly good or bad one because they're all mostly five out of ten. It's hit and miss every week unless you get Craig Pawson, in which case it's a miss. Paul Tierney's another really bad one. Oh, Paul, oh, Paul Tierney, that one in the, in the Liverpool game yesterday. <laughs> He's generally quite bad anyway as well. We'll do a podcast and referees one day. We, we won't, might not get it done in the hour, though. We'll try <laughs> and get my Dean on. But um, it, it, it's a strange one because uh, there was another incident I'm going to talk about now, which happened in our game. And you go back to the Liverpool one where Forrest had the ball and it got given back to the goalkeeper. Well, we had one where a player went down um, now, I'm not sure if the referee blew the whistle, but the ball came just over the halfway line. The Everton defender knocked it over towards the touchline. don't think it made it, but I think it kind of then got put out for a, a throw. Referee then took it back and gave it to Ariola. Like, Is this a new rule or something? The ball went out over the halfway line yeah. in the other half and Ariola ends up with the drop ball. I, I don't get it. Craig Paulson whistle, Laurie. Yeah, right. Uh, the evidence is stacking against Craig Paulson here, and actually, I think you might be right. Um, yeah, whoever was the ref, um, well, Darren Ingram, I remember, was the VAR ref for that really bad one against Liverpool, um, against Spurs earlier in the season, where they completely lack of uh, communication between them. But yeah, that's another bad ref. Anyway, let's, let's, let's stop the conversation because uh, we've had a great win. We're all yeah. buzzing. We're all happy. Let's come back in part two, and uh, uh, let's see what anything else said. No, I just like like we said, that was probably one of the best away day atmospheres that I've that I've been involved in for for a while. You know, forget the forget the Europa run and and the night in Prague and all that in the Premier League and cups. That was probably one of the best that because it was constant for ninety minutes that it never stopped and. You know, and sometimes you've got two songs going on. You can hear one side and the other side. But as soon as one side was a little bit more vocal, F1 joined him. Um, and there was some good humoured ones as well towards the Everton fans. I, I really particularly like the one where they said, stand up if you've got a job. 
And this one guy stood up, F1 cheered, and then he sat back down, and F1's like, he's lost his job. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, it, it, it's, it was spontaneous, it was quick, it was good-humoured, there was nothing yeah. malicious. Um, so, yeah, credit to all the fans that were there yesterday because they, they did make it a great atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was a, it was a superb atmosphere. I, I'll be honest, I do find the whole... Liverpool fans being all scousers and unemployment, slightly outdated now as a stereotype, but I think it's something that we should probably leave in 2024 as we, or 2023, we should probably leave it in the past as we move on. Um, all right, well, I'll just add a couple thing. of. Go on. Oh, gone. Well, I was going to say, I didn't want to get to the second part of glossing over. You promised a positive fan cam after the game if we won. And you and you delivered, but what were the comments? Were people still digging you out, calling you fickle? Did you did you have a look? Oh, I did have a look. Uh, I particularly like the one that said Big Dave is a fashion king. A lot of people seem to like the fact I stood through the rain in a body warmer. Yeah, that's just your uniform. They should know that by now. Rain or shine. Don't do anything else. Right, a couple of a couple of five word reviews. Edgeware Hammer, uh, best goalkeeper performance, superb result. And uh, Adam, who's who's had to take a break for a sec. Superb Suchek sing sorry scousers. Testing my tongue on the on that one, Ed. Uh, all right, part two. We'll come back and talk Twitter interactions. And will Vladimir Sufal ever score? <laughs> we'll back part two. Amos Pod. Uh, right. Saturday night after the game, I, I put a Twitter poll out that said, "Random question for the pod: Will we ever see Sufal score a goal for West Ham?" And I thought we might get some interaction. I thought it might get some votes and I thought we might give given his current attacking trend of getting assists I thought we might might get a good debate going on it that took a turn this morning when I got a, a reply from the man himself saying what a question with some laughing emojis so I'm glad he took it in the spirit it was intended because that wasn't an attack on his goal scoring record at all it was a genuine will he, will he get the chance to turn an assist into a goal I'll be honest at the time he tweeted I think it was on about four or five hundred votes and it was pretty even split. By the end of it, it breached over 4,000 votes. And it was two-third majority that he will score for us. So I'm going to open it to you guys. Firstly, one word, yes or no. Do you think we'll ever see Vladimir Sufal score? Adam? Yes. Gary? Yes. Rich? Yeah. I'm going to go with yeah. Well, actually, I think I think <laughs> you're going to do it, Vlad. I'm, I'm going to assume now, Vlad, I've made you a listener of this pod. So we're backing you. You're, you're going to do it. How do we think he's going to score that goal? This, this, because I could, I could envision a situation where <clears throat> we give him a penalty in a game where we're two, three to up in the ninety-first minute, so he could have that moment. But could we see an Emerson thirty-yard screamer? Could we see a Carlos Alberto nineteen seventy late running to the box? An anagram of Sufal is old Cafu. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't argue with facts, can you, boys? Well, I don't know if you remember Wolves away maybe last year. It might have been a year before, but Sufo actually did come pretty close to scoring. Their keeper was off the line. He smashed it from pretty far out, and then one of their players cleared it off the line. So I don't think it's going to be an Emerson rocket, but you know he can at least hit the target from range. We know that. But actually, in the last few games, where Kudus has been going really wide on that right, he has been drifting into some central areas. I think he's just waiting for that ball to drop to him, hopefully. It does, and he can. Then we'll find out if he can hit the target from from close range. But I've never wanted a player to score this much for us since Thomas Repka. Um, I would just love to see Sufal score. Yeah, I, I think um, I think it might be very close to the Ben Johnson one that he scored at Villa Park. You know, from from the right hand side of the box, and 
I think I think something's just going to drop at the edge of the box, right on right on the right hand corner. I think, and he's gonna he's just going to larrap it, and it's going to go in the top corner, <laughs> and it's going to look like the best strike in the world, and it'll be like his his only goal that he ever scores. Um, but yeah, that conversation come about, Dave, didn't it? Because we were discussing the, like I said in part one, everyone was like seven, you know, plus out of ten. And we, we started talking about Soufal. And he always gives you the same performance every game. <clears throat> he is solid. He doesn't have fives. He has sevens and eights. He, he is so dependable. He is so good. He He's so such a good fit for us. And then I mentioned that. Um, I tagged you in Twitter, Dave, on it earlier. <clears throat> that ball that Pickford kicked out came down with snow on it he had a bit of pressure he just traps it on his foot and turn and passed it you know that was a touch and that's what he gives you he, he is just so so dependable uh, and if you'd want to see someone score to see how he always has a smile on his face but imagine the euphoria of having a goal as well he will be unstoppable. I, I can't wait for it. I can't. I just can't wait. Uh, I never thought Arthur Masawaka would have ever scored a goal, but he scored that uh, fluke against Chelsea and he actually smashed the Weldy in. A little bit similar to like Emerson's one, but when um, we played Bolton in the uh, Carabao Cup a few mm. years ago. So there's hope for Sufa. Yeah, and Sufa was a much, much better player as well. So we've got your back, Thomas. We've got your back, Vlad. We've got your back. We just forget your name. Yeah, that was it. Sorry. I'm thinking of the other checkmate. Just, I just go. You say that Masuaku goal. I remember that because I remember going online afterwards and saying he meant that, and people were like, "No, he didn't." I was like, "I'm, I'm telling you, Masuaku meant that. That was deliberate." And about ten minutes after the game, he goes, "Fluke." Yeah. I'm like, "Well, he scored one like that at Afcon. I don't know if you saw that recently. He scored an absolute worldie like that from a similar area at Afcon. So you know, he's playing the long game. He's being humble, but I think he agreed with you, Dave. He, he did mean that because he did it again, replicated it. I think oh, I the wind must have been just... in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't watch any of Afcon. I just, yeah. I just was waiting for Ghana to go out so we Get got our power back. Yeah. Oh, I think on the topic of Soufal, it's worth reminding everyone of this brilliant quote from him when he, when there was that big invasion of the pitch at Frankfurt, and he was one of the only players to come over and clap the fans. They asked him if he was scared. He said, "I wasn't scared. If a fan attacks me, it will be their problem, not mine." So, if anything ever sums up the man for you, that is. Um, that is it. And he deserves a goal to go with that commitment because I, I just bloody love him. He's great. I said it in previous podcasts, didn't I, that if he stays in another few years, he could be captain material as well. I've said on previous podcasts that uh, if you know, if, if there's a guy starting a fight with you in a pub, he's the one player in that current squad, or maybe Alvarez on the other shoulder, but he's the one you want over that, yeah. that shoulder, you know, ready to go, ready to throw hands. Yeah, 100%. He's got big guns as well. Just going there, steaming him. So, yeah, 100%. I hope I'm there when he scores. I might have to just not miss any games now for till the dawn at the end of time, till he leaves the club, because I can't miss that goal if that happens. I'm telling you, Vladimir Soufal does not have a safe word. <laughs> safe words have a Vladimir Soufal. <laughs> he, he was he was dancing around uh, singing Ariola as well yesterday after the game, wasn't he? He was hugging onto Ariola. He was singing it. He was going, do, do, do. <laughs> I love that. He loves it. Love he, he loves the club. He loves yeah. he loves where he is. Um, give him a new contract. Give him what yeah. he wants. You know, we're not going to get better than him at the moment. 
100%. No, if he's a two or three year extension, I mean, a two year extension at this point is probably, it's probably the right, feels like right. And if, you know, he probably is, is deserving of a, I don't know what he's on, but I would imagine whatever he's on, he's earned it and, and probably does deserve a pay rise for the next couple of years to, to keep him through while he's still, still got his ability in his legs. Do you think he um, searched his name or did he search Pod? Maybe he come up as Pod. Maybe he, he wants something to endorse or be a part of. I mean, if he wants to come on, he's, he's more than welcome. 100%. So you didn't tag him in that post? It just kind no, of I think someone, someone tagged him. I think uh, somebody okay. else did and, and, um, and he must have seen it from that and replied. But I do want to say one thing. That's like, obviously, I'm, I'm flattered for a start that he's replied to me on Twitter because footballers don't generally give you that interaction. But let's not forget, a month ago, I'm pretty sure he shut down all his comments on Instagram because of the abuse Man United fans were giving him for a tackle at Old Trafford. I'm pretty sure that was that was a month ago. I'm pretty sure it was. I'm I'm already certain that was the Man United game. And oh yeah, he injured um, Martinez, Lissandro Martinez. Didn't he? That was it. Yeah. No, no. Like, Martinez tried fans... to tackle him and injured himself, and yeah. they all blame Soufal. Come for the king, yeah. better not miss. So like, so it's great to see. Vladimir Soufal back on social media. Yeah. So annoyingly, he had to do the same thing a little uh, that season where he weren't playing that well and he was carrying an injury. I remember he had to do the same because people were digging him out on Instagram and giving him giving him some sort of undeserved slack. But I remember he had an operation on a hernia, I think. And then when he came back, he was a lot better. But um, yeah, it's nice to see that interaction because he's just a, a really down to earth guy. And you you see people who say they bumped into him in the street just say he's just a, a really nice guy and got time for people. Yeah, uh, the idiots so I've got... are on a slate. That's why they're not on this podcast. All right, so I've got, got a question from, from Edgeware Hammer. Uh, why are we still playing Zuma? And I think I've praised him in part one. That was a superb header. You know, there was nowhere else he could put that. Inch higher, crossbar, inch lower, defender on the line. Um, but defensively, he does look... I mean, physically, he's limping. He isn't playing at the levels that he was when he first joined. We probably do need... We certainly need one, if not two, centre-halves, I think, this summer. But what's the option at this point to to rest in him? It might be one of them ones where they're thinking, just try and get him through to the summer and they'll do some sort of surgery to flush out the knee and maybe he'll be fine the start of next season. We, we, you see players do that all the time. They they just try and play through the pain till the summer. Maybe they come back better the next season. But yeah, definitely, we've said it a bunch of times, he doesn't necessarily look right, but... And he will get caught out for things like the balls in behind and the pace, and especially when he's playing on the left. But, if, you know, it's not against the realms of possibility he can recover that form that we know he's capable of if, if he can just sort of get through to the summer and have a, a, a sort of clear out of the knee if that's the problem or or another surgery because apparently he recovers really quickly. I remember Moyes saying this. So, um, yeah, I can see the case from getting dropped, but I reckon they're just trying to get through to the end of the season and see where they're at. Yeah, it, it's, oh, it's, like he's, it's like he's got glass legs or something, you know. He, he just doesn't look comfortable. Got an international break coming up, so maybe they could look at something in there. Does he play against Burnley on Sunday? Does he play against Freiburg? Um, you know, does he get that good rest? Um, because there's a, you know, potentially he he could be a hazard against Freiburg, and and, and we're in a knockout stage now. So, given the rest, given Burnley, does. A couple of weeks help him. Um, you know, you can bring in Aguard and, and Mavropanos as a centre back too. You've got Ogbonna waiting in there as well. Uh, great to see Ogbonna 
sat bringing the players over yesterday as well. He was like, point, he's like, get to the fans, get to the fans. Ogbonner, you know, he's he's an he's an older man. I I love Ogbonner. I, I just he's always given everything. You know, he's he's a proper club man. He, he's so for Burnley and Freiburg, I think we have got an option to rest him. Can they do anything exploratory during that time? I don't, I don't know um, for him to recover for the Villa game, but he just doesn't look comfortable. But but then yesterday you see him running up for a couple of corners when he's needed, and and he puts one in. So maybe that's just because he's so tall and so big. That's maybe just how he runs. I don't know. It, it, he he's he's a myth to me at the moment because I don't know how you play all through 90 minutes if you're struggling that much and still come out with energy. And, and I, I, I just don't get it. It's a medical anomaly, ain't he? Because he, he like, oh, he's ruled out for two months and then about two weeks later he's back. And then like you say, he looks like he's in pain the whole time, but then he'll suddenly get a jog on up to for a corner and, uh, and deliver that header. So um, just one of life's great mysteries, maybe. Yeah, we don't know the prognosis behind what it is. If there is a prognosis, we can obviously think we can see an injury. Uh, I'm sure the medical team are assessing it week in, week out. I don't think we'll see him in every game going forward the next couple of weeks now. I think we'll probably see him in the Freiburg game away from home then, given the Burnley one off um, and possibly Freiburg at home, depending on the result. Um, but going back to the question, it's probably a, putting a managerial head on. Yeah, if he's not playing week in, like playing well week in, week out, then he's, you've got an option to to drop him. But I think that Moyes is sticking by his captain, and that's why you're seeing him week in, week out. Couple of points I want to make, just in relation to something you said, Gary. That Zuma came back from surgery, and he stopped running with that limp for a little while, and then he sort of just come back, which makes you wonder if something's been re-aggravated or something's re-injured. Maybe the surgery wasn't quite a success. And to go back and say, Rich, you said about about bringing a good him. He could have bought him off the bench yesterday just to kill a bit of time when he bought Bonner him, and, and he did it. He kept him on the bench. And I'm starting to think maybe the rumours about Aguero, you know, not wanting to be here, maybe are true at this point. Maybe there is. I don't see. I mean, Aguero is probably the the fourth choice centre half, certainly second choice of the left footed centre halves, and I think you would see that as a perception. But if the, if he's not coming on, sorry, if he's coming on, Aguero's not. That would suggest he's moved ahead of him in the in the pecking order. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I got I got shot down quite a lot during the transfer window when I said that Aguard doesn't want to be there. Um, I, I'd be surprised if he lasted the window, but we, we couldn't get any replacements in, so he's there. Um, and I, I still probably feel that he he doesn't want to be there, but he's under contract. He he's got a, he's got to play if he's asked to play. Um, how honest he is as a player if, if he's saying I don't want to play and, and that's why he's on the bench because if, if he's on the bench we're not putting another youth player on there and asking the questions and, and you know and if he doesn't want to play I don't, I don't know it, it's it can answer it can ask answer so many questions if it if we knew the truth but it, it's all about you know the bench he puts out as well. Yeah. If you drop a guard, then it, it he's not involved in a squad at all. Then questions will start getting asked. As he said, I'll play if you need me. Put me on the bench if you don't need me. But, yeah, but you know, I'm all right on the bench. 
they still get an appearance fee for being on the bench. So he's he's quite happy picking up his money. I I, I guess um, I, I I generally feel that he doesn't want to be there. That's what I heard back in January. I got shot down. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I think I think it's coming to fruition, isn't it? To make the case for, for the players, though, we've we've seen Moyes kind of do this to players who do want to play and just sort of isolate them and, and drop them and not play them like Alex Crowell did it to Soufal for a while and kept playing carer and sort of the rumours were Soufal really did want to play so I guess it you know it could be a bit of both it could be that Moyes has sort of just said to him yeah you're not you're not in my plans anymore like he kind of did to those other players or we might even see him, we might see him on Thursday I think Thursday is potentially a good game to bring him back in for or Sunday depending on like you guys said which one Zuma plays but why didn't we keep carer that's that's yeah. a question yeah well, he's mobile. He could play in different positions. He, you know, he, he probably would have benefited from having him when the running starts happening now, and you need fresh legs and fresh players. And he actually ended the season really well. And I was surprised that he didn't get more game time at the start of this season. It was a bit like Lanzini the, the year before. He ended that previous season really well, and by the time the season started, he was all out of the the plan. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's short sighted to let Kerr go. Yeah, you don't have Kerr when he. I mean, he had a chance to go back to France, Monaco. I'd imagine that's quite a nice area to live in. I'd imagine he's probably being paid quite a... If he's not getting paid more money, he's probably got tax breaks that that make it worthwhile for him. He's a chance to play regular football, which he wasn't going to get here. So good luck to Tilo. Uh, you know, he came across... I I found it strange. I didn't agree when Soufal was was dropped for him. I said that. I was quite vocal at the time, and I'll, I'll be quite vocal in it now. You know, I, I maintain that Soufal is, is a still... A quality fullback. I said it then. I said I think he was better right back than Kara. I got shot down for it, you know, at the time. But lo and behold, history, uh, time has, has proved me right. Uh, yeah, I, I, it probably was the right decision to move Kara on. In hindsight, maybe now you can look at it and go, well, if Aguero don't want to be, we gives us another defender. But uh, I've got more question from uh, Liam Liam K. I'm gonna give Liam K. I've always thought this. I've always found it weird when people give like friend of the pod status you know when you listen to a podcast you know it's friend of the pod yeah, and I think yeah you can't have a friend of the pod without without having an enemy of the pod so liam's a regular contributor i'm gonna say liam's a friend of the pod and i'm gonna nominate craig porson as an enemy of this podcast i'm not gonna issue a fact we're against him yet but i am gonna designate craig porson an enemy of the hammers pod podcast Fair. uh liam asks has Moyes turned it around it's too early to say really in it i suppose comparing sort of eight games of absolute dross to two where we've enjoyed it a bit more. So I think let's see how the next few weeks go. And maybe by the time that international breaks happen, if we're still playing a bit more front foot football, if we are scoring more, if we are getting the best out of these players, then I guess you can make the the argument. But um, yeah, I'd say probably too soon. Uh thing I will say is, yeah, like you said, Gary, so I'd say, but I did say it uh, a few games ago that every team, apart from obviously the Man Cities, are always going to have a bad run at one stage so that's what we've had go our way now yeah we've played two teams in the bottom half which in in seasons gone past actually we've actually struggled against but we'll know more after we i think after the villa game we'll, we'll probably see where we're at in that game if we go turn up against them we'll give them a game and then we go right yeah it's good um but yeah that's my thoughts on it at the moment let's see how the next one goes but every team's entitled to their blip yeah uh, and we've had the injuries let's be honest we we lost any team that loses five or six senior first team players is going to struggle. You know, they are. Um, and Bowen was injured, let's not forget. 
you know, Paqueta's come back and has been Paqueta. He's just lifted the whole squad. You know, he is he is something that's just. It's like Payet. When you had Payet on the pitch, you knew something was going to happen. You knew that you were in for a chance of winning a game of football just by something he could do. And it, it feels that way a little bit with with the players with Paqueta as well. That we've got him. It, it's he'll create something for us. You know. Um, as he turned it around is the question though just had a blip you know so was there anything really to turn around we had a good start to the season we've had a blip I think yesterday's result was massive I I think it was huge and I think Brentford on Monday was huge as well two games that we should have won two games that we needed to win if you like more than should have we we needed to win them after the run we've been on and I think Everton was a tough ask to win, and we did. So I don't think he's turned it around as such. I think he's kept it stable, and he's and he's got the results that that he's deserved. And we go on to Burnley on Sunday, and we're hoping that that's another three points. Um, and Freiburg before that, where hopefully you know we take a draw. It's not a bad. It's not a bad few games, is it? After you know, and it's it's kind of. How how often can you keep going on with this agenda of in out in out hokey cokey business? Because show me a manager that isn't under pressure in the Premier League. Show me the team that isn't struggling at times. Villa went off the boil for a few games. Then they're not all going on about Emery. Look, look at Arsenal last season. Some of their fans wanted Arteta out because he wasn't doing so good. Do you know what I mean? But now he's the best thing since sliced bread. So yeah. it's a fickle business, football. Um, he's here. We've got to support him till the end of the season. We see what goes on. Yeah. That's my view. Just to clarify, is it a two-game winning blip or was the eight-game before that the blip? <laughs> I think, just just for the record, I, I think it's great that we've got these two wins, right? And hopefully we're going to go... We've got four games for the international break and you, you look at Freiburg from the group stage and we'll, we'll touch on that in part three and Burnley and we'll touch on that in the next pod and you've you got to feel comfortable that we should probably win those three so we're going to put a five we could we should should and probably could put a, a five game winning run together um, at the same time my gripes a lot of my gripes with him are still evident over the last two we're still getting a lack of substitutions when we need them I feel he's still leaving his substitutions too late we're still not any closer to seeing any young players developing and we're the academy of football and we've got we can't just say we're the academy of football and stick it on a t-shirt and sell it in a club shop you've got to have something behind it to back it up and when you've got the best youth system in the country or the best youth teams in the country currently across the under 18s and the under 21s you've got to start integrating some of those or as i said in part one we've got to start finding the right loan moves and we've got to start developing these players properly and at the moment we're not we're just letting them stagnate in the in the under twenty ones, and that's yeah. that's a big frustration for me. Yeah, I think to both of your points, there's more to turn around than just the results. It's easy to just think about like you know if we win the next three, but most people's gripe is with the style of play. So I'm thinking more in terms of turning it around. If we play the same way we have the last two games in the next three, then you can argue that he's turned it around because most people's sort of gripe was that we're playing boring football. But I'm not sure you can level that at the last two games because they were both quite enjoyable, probably for them majority of the game being generous so I think there's and then like you say there's stuff with the youngsters so that there's stuff that can be turned around short term with the performances there's stuff that will take more time but 
Richie's right, every team's going to have blips. It's whether you're still fun to watch during that time, if the people are still on your side and, and so on. He's he's got his he's got his players back and he got rid of Ben Rama. True. All right, let's wrap up part two. Part three, we're going to look ahead to Germany. Part three of Hammers Pods, rare free parter. I'm going to start with a question from my good friend Martin Backhaus. Martin asks, "What's your favourite German sausage?" Martin, when when we meet in Freiburg, you will quickly learn how much I love currywurst. I am not. Uh, my diet is going out the window for that. I tell you. Anyone else want to contribute their, their German sausage of choice? I back that one as well. The standard curry verse, or them big long ones you get at the Christmas market, like the standard bread verse. Either of them will do me. Never been to yeah, Germany, I'm, sorry. I'm, 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 I'm not familiar with many sausages, to be honest. <laughs> it's funny, Elliot, after that horrendous Europa League semi final, no one's saying the Frankfurter. Block it out of the memory. Oh, I wish I could block that place out of my memory. That was a horrendous city. But we're not going to Frankfurt, we're going to Freiburg. Just another German place, beginning with F, and hopefully somewhere that's that's gonna bring much happier times. I'll start with we'll go with I'll start with team selection. Right. I don't think you can change your winning team. I know we're we're gonna back to playing for the next two weeks, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. But I think we've got to stick with uh Willie Eleven that, that started the last two, haven't we? It's not like Moyes to not rotate one or two. Fabianski. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially Calvin Phillips. No, 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 no. Me and you are spending 18 hours in a car together over like a 48-hour period from Wednesday evening to Friday evening. And I'm not travelling that way and spending that much time in a car with you and that many service stops to watch Calvin Bloody Phillips. Well, prepare yourself because I think he might start him instead of Will Prowse potentially. He, he's going to have a blinder and then he's going to be an ambassador for the pod as well, isn't go. he? <laughs> Get to say I told you so for about... 12 hours on the way back. Maybe Antonio. I've got a feeling he doesn't normally go completely the full team, does he? Uh, I'm trying to think back to the previous run. I still feel up to about the quarterfinals. He rotated a little bit. But um, yeah, for the most part, it'll be the same team. I think Richie's right. Fabianski is definitely coming in at least. I think Ben Johnson might come in for Sue Fowl as well. Uh, he, he's got to think about Burnley on Sunday. You know, it's, it is two games in, in a few days. Uh, and it's the hard recovery. Although you could argue Burnley is the easier opposition uh, and even half-tired, we should beat them. Yeah. Uh, Moyes is, is too professional for that, you know. So I, I'd expect, I think, I, I, I think Zuma might get rested for yeah. maybe Ogbonna um, yeah. or Aguard, um, depending on the situation that we talked about in part two. Um does he bring in Cresswell for Emerson? I'm not sure. I don't think he'll change the whole back four. I think no. he might go, well, back five if you count Fabianski coming in for Areola. So it might just be Fabianski and <sighs> Zuma might play. Um, and then he just changes Soufal for Johnson. I think he'll go with... I don't know. Would he would he rest Ward Prowse for Phillips just for a change? That's an option. Um, otherwise, it will be that free. And it, and and I think he'll go Paquetta Bowen Kudus. Yeah. You know, I think the changes will be around the back, if anything. Yeah. I guess the question is, does he go away and try and win it, or does he try and keep it tight with the belief that we can take him back and beat him at home? It might be more that. Like, what's the what's the oh, style of play? He's going for a draw, mate. He's, he's yeah. going out there for a, a draw, one all, and and 
you know, be tight, be compact. If we sniff it on the break, we do. And we get them back to London Stadium. That's how you play European football. You, you yeah. go out there and be solid, get them in your backyard um, and, and kill them off. Uh, and I, that's exactly what I think he'll do. Well, when we was out there before, the lineup was Fabianski, Mavropanos, Alvarez, Kera, Sufa. I was, I just got this up. I was about, I was going to ask actually if I could remember this. Oh, but... oh. I just looked it up and Walprouse, Wal Paqueta, Fornells, Aguerd, Bowen, and Kudus, which obviously on the bench was Zuma, Emerson. So we didn't go uh, really, really strong when we went out there before, but we might give them a little bit more respect after there. I think you you watch it, Dave. Um, they drew two or were buying the other day, didn't they? I watched I watched the highlights. Um, I think just to go back, I think we can definitely predict two changes from that team because I can't see Kara or Fornell starting. Yeah, I watched I watched the highlight. I mean, like the one thing I noticed, both the uh, Bayern Munich goals were were quite quite good hits. They come in off the left, you know, right footed shots across the keeper. Packetar can do that, you know. I think not that I encourage or promote any gambling on this podcast, but I think Packetar to score would. Would probably be a, a good bet. He scored the first goal in Freiburg, so I mean that would be yeah. that would be a good bet. Funny enough, actually, the, the first uh, Freiburg goal came from a, a header that was well, sort of like saved by the keeper. The ball in the air. The guy's hit a bicycle kick that's come off the bar. The ball's got half cleared and he's jogged out to the area. He's come back to him and he's just hit it low across the keeper. So I feel I feel kind of confident because I do think we we are going to defend set of pieces better than better than Bayern Munich. I mean. Better than any defence that's got Eric Dyer in it for, for sure. Yeah, I, I watched back the highlights of the home game from the Europa League. I know there's a bit of context there because I think they were already guaranteed second, weren't they? And it was only the off chance they beat us. But they, my memories were right; they were really quite a passive team, and we found it quite easy to play through them at home. Now I didn't actually watch; I was on holiday for when we played them away, so I didn't actually watch that game. But I don't know if that was different. But they felt like one of those teams that will also want be happy to sit back. Um, and it's about whether we can play for him again. Because the two goals were um, Alvarez, I think, dinked the ball over to Kudus. He just made that running behind. And the second goal, Alvarez just run past a couple of their players last time. So maybe it was the context of the, the game. But they look quite a passive team from my memory of when we played them last time. Yeah, they didn't offer anything when, when they played at our place. And I was just looking at it, we went with a stronger lineup when we played them at home. Um, but I think we spoke about it before. The only threat I'm worried about, and I thought he was okay on both of the games, Nullified him a little bit better in the second half was the uh, the Japanese winger who's a, who's a threat. But if you can pin them in a little bit, obviously they're going to have their crowd behind them. Um, but we've already won out there with no crowd. So you think all the travelling fans going out there making the noise is only going to help us get through it. But if we can get a draw, we get a draw. If we win it, that sets us up even nicer for the uh, the lovely five forty five the week after. Yeah, obviously you want to you want to try and bring a lead back because the last thing you want. Is is to come back with a a one nil or a two nil loss, um, and then have to kind of go and break Freiburg down, who will probably then try and make themselves very resilient. They'll drop the low block. We won't find the space behind the counter. That's that's my right ahead of the second league. Um, one question I would ask you, you Adam and, and Richie, is obviously football people. Is our biggest enemy complacency, given that we've beat them twice already? Uh, we've all got a degree of confidence, obviously coming off the back of two wins, having beaten them twice this season already. How do you guard against complacency? If you're setting your team up, you, you're in the, not if you're setting your team up, but you're, you're in the dressing room before the game, you're going into a game where you're thinking, we should quite comfortably win this. What are you going to say to your players? What is David Moyes going to be saying to just temper those expectations a little 
and just to keep the players mind sharp and focused for me um i would say that the the game over there was tight so i think complacency comes in when it was if you've beaten them three or four you know so if i'm in that change room if i'm Moyes, if i'm the coaching staff i'm saying look remember we had it tough out there we had no fans we got through it but we had to work bloody hard to get through it and we're now going into the knockout stages where it's we're at the hard end so they're going to be up for it the crowd are going to be up for it they know that we've got fans so they're going to be louder they're going to be they're going to be pushing their team on so you're going to have to probably work doubly hard than what you did previously to win here um i think he'll set them up to to be that compact and and we'll take the draw but i i i don't think complacency will come into it because i, I don't think moyes ever sets a team up to be like that anyway and that's not in his dna and he's very thorough on it and i think he'll be very thorough on the fine details of of what to do um and i saw that yesterday with a couple of players a couple of coaching staff were having good little chats with a couple of players there was a lot of fine details being pushed onto them during the warm-up as well which was quite interesting to see so no i don't think i don't think there'll be any complacency and i think he will be reminding them how difficult a job it really will be and they're going to have to work very hard to come back with any type of result yeah i agree i only touch on a couple of little bits but yeah nothing is spot on rich as well but it's just the first of always respect the opponent just because you've uh, beat them twice doesn't mean that you're definitely going to go and beat them again um and it's just the little tactics for example defend first so just make sure you don't obviously go out there and give them a uh, uh give them an early goal and then you're already up against it so defend get them basic right um and then obviously when we get the ball in the, in the final third Obviously, we're going to protect it, look after it, and you're going to get. Well, I think it's going to be a game where there's going to be limited chances anyway. So when you do get them chances, you're going to have to have to take them. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree, which as well. Uh, any level of football complacency shouldn't shouldn't kick in at all. And Moisey's level-heading enough to uh, not let that creep in at all. We would hope, but yeah, I think that's what, what we'd say on that. All right, we'll come. We'll come to predictions in a minute or in a, in a bit. I'll ask you all now, right, what is the worst possible result that we can come back from Germany with and still overturn realistically, do you think, in, in the second league? I know there's been examples of that mad PSG-Barcelona game and so on, but what's the worst possible result that you, you go into the second leg thinking, OK, we can still do this? You don't want any more than a 1-0 loss, do you? It gives them psychologically so much to hold on to. And we've seen before that even 1-0 losses are hard to turn around. Severe, we had to take to extra time. Um, you know, on the shoe on the other foot, Leon got that one all draw with us and got sort of blown away because we had to, to go and play them. So I don't think you want to lose any more than 1-0, but I can't see us losing, to be honest with you. I think, um, I think anything by two goals for me. I, I think if you lose 1-0, if you lose 2-1, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. We will score one goal at the London Stadium. You you can't you know you can't back against that. Um, we beat them two 0 last time. Uh, we score goals. It, it's very rare that that we don't score a goal. 
and we'll have a very strong squad out. If we did lose 1-0 or 2-1, we will go full pelt for it next week because it's qualification that's on the cards. So we will score out of that. So, and that gives you a, that gives you back to being level on aggregate, um, and then it's pushing on to get the next one. So uh, we may we may concede, but I, I think we can if we get one, we can get a second. So I think a two goal deficit would be the worst for me. Yeah, two. Yeah, that is always the hardest a two goal one to come back from uh, sometimes, but also been looking at them a little bit as well on the stats that they uh they concede more than they score so like richard said as well even that's good i think it's going to be hard also by the way at that 545 we don't know how many people's going to turn up we don't know how many tickets being sold it's going to be hard to generate an atmosphere um but whatever whoever does turn up we'll, we'll do what we can but yeah even if we don't score away from away from home i would back us as well just looking at how many goals they've conceded over well the turn of the year really i I actually think in some ways, as mad as this sounds, I'll explain it, that a 2 deal loss wouldn't be the end of the world because I think Freiburg then would probably come to the London Stadium in full-on defence mode. And, you know, if we've got Pakatar on the pitch, he's always got that little bit of guard or that, that little bit of genius. Kudus as well can go past the man. You know, and then, and then you get one back. And then Freiburg's game plan starts to rattle and then you get the second and you're back on even terms and by now Freiburg are, are in collapse. Whereas I think, obviously, if, if you get one goal, you, you, like I, I agree with Rich, because I think we will score at London Stadium, but with one goal, Freiburg might have a more rounded sort of game plan going into the second leg. I completely agree with, with everything you just said, Adam, about the 5.45 kickoff. I think it, looking at the home leg right now, that's the thing I'm most nervous about for all the reasons you said. Because like I said, when, when we discussed this previously, the the you know the the five forty five kickoff time, Freiburg it's not going to bother them. Their fans aren't getting a train over or flying over to watch a game and go straight back afterwards. They're going to be flying in in the morning of the game or on on the Wednesday, enjoying themselves. They'll do it sightseeing in London. Whether we whether they kick off at five forty five or eight, and I can say this with experience of having travelled abroad myself. You know, having done it, it doesn't matter whether you whether you kick off at five forty five, whether you kick off at eight. When you're in a wastepaper. You're out there, you're in the city and you're there for the game anyway. So it's got no no issue either way. It yeah. doesn't matter. And and whereas obviously if you're the home team, it does because you're not taking the time off for it in the same way that that you are for, for an away leg. So I think certainly in terms of fan mentality, yeah. uh five forty five kickoff in the second league benefits Freiburg far more than it benefits us. Yeah, just having a look now, there's loads of seats available. Upper tiers, you're looking at sort of like anywhere up to six hundred ish per block. Most of them lowest 200-ish, even the ones pitch side, you're looking at anywhere 50, 150 tickets still available. So it looks like they really haven't sold a lot. Um, so that will be worrying on the day. But I know Richie mentioned this before. Moyes is kind of good at this and this style of his style of football suits European competition. So I, I reckon that I'm, I'm pretty confident we're going to come back with a positive result and um, hopefully then the atmosphere won't be too much of an issue. But you're right, they were loud last time, the Freiburg fans, weren't they? Imagine if it's half empty and they're loud it's going to be terrible atmosphere for us i mean we played freiburg in the, the home game there was germans all around us in home like asking us like add, add, what postcodes to put in for the wi-fi you know it's... but but again I, I said like i said previously we discussed this i don't hold any grudge against them i know fans that went out to freiburg we were banned they were welcomed they got tickets it's part of their culture 
and and they were they were good to our travelling fans. So 100, I was happy to respect that and indulge them in the in the home game. It was fairly dead rubber by that point, I think, um, because we knew we was as long as we didn't lose, I think we were top the group. Yeah, and we was already through anyway. Obviously, we wanted to top it, but it was already through. So it'll be a bit, a bit different next week if we're, you know, if we come back, we haven't got a great result in Germany and. And, you know, the pressure's on and you feel that anxiety a little bit in the build-up to the game. If, you know, you didn't got to listen to German voices around you, it's just going to ramp up the um, the anger a little bit. And I think we're going to have to expect that because I think Freiburg are going to buy tickets in our end if they're, if they're not able to get tickets in their own. Yeah, I, I think the way the games are going at the moment, we're, we're kind of, apart from Brentford, we're, we're, we're kind of a later game team. Uh, and certainly that's a good way to be in Europe. You, you can suck it up, suck it up, and then you can go bang. Because when you go bang in the last third of a game, it's very hard to recover. The, the, the team on the other end of it are very hard to recover. So I, I think that's why that's why Moyes is, is good in Europe, because he just makes you so solid and says, look, we're going to be solid for 45 minutes to an hour, and then we'll just release that, that leash a little bit, and then we'll start going. Because I know that we've got it in abundance to score these goals. So you suck it up, you suck it up, you suck it up, and then you just go bang. And they don't know what's hit them. And it's hard to recover from that. Um, I, I don't see any pro- Over the two legs, I don't see any problem getting past Freiburg. I think one all out there, I think they will score. And I, and I think we will. Um, but I think it will be one all. I think it'll be tight i don't think it'll be very pretty because we'll, we'll try and not part the bus a bit but we'll be just that compact and they'll be wary of our counter as well I, I, it could be very much how the everton game was yesterday in the first half it was very cagey i think we could see that for 90 minutes um but i think you get us at home i, I can see us winning two or three nil at home to be, to be honest all right rich game one all adam do you want to give yeah, me a score was, prediction? I was first of all going to say one all, but I won't I won't keep the same score as Rich now. You've actually uh, made me be more positive than I was going to be. I'm going for me Everton scoreline. I hope it happens this time. 2 1. Gary? I think we'll just sneak it 1 0, to be honest. I'm going to go. going to go positive what, again. I'm, I'm going to go positive. Do you know what? I've got a feeling this. I'm going to go 2 0 because I think, I think we can score out there. I think Freiburg will be frightened of losing the home leg, and I think they will. Just start to commit a little bit, just to try and get an even footing, try and get that goal back, and try and bring it back, and then that'll open up an opportunity for us to to catch them on the counter and get a second. So I want to go with two 0 You said um, you said Paqueta was going to score. So are we going to stay with the peas and we're going to go Phillips as well? No, no, no. You're taking a pee by asking that question. <laughs> I'm going to go Paqueta and Bowen. What two 0 not not so far. Yeah, come on. Imagine that. All right, got in, got in. Right. I know I said we'll catch him on a counter. Scrap that. We will catch him on a counter. But Boeing's first shot will be deflected into the path of the oncoming Soufal. And it will be like, do you remember that Paul Scholes volley at Villa Park? Ooh. It's going to be that. Yeah. He'll get deflected out for a corner. No, I'm going to change the game. He'll get deflected out for a corner. And Soufal will be on the edge of the box, just doing what he does. And the ball's going to come out. And it'll be a Paul Scholes-esque volley in off the inside of the bar. Keeper's got no chance. Yeah, there you go. 2-0. There you go. Job done. Paqueta and Soufal. When Soufal scores, I think we should uh, send him off a top with a West Ham pod on it. When he scores, the top comes off. And uh, yeah. <laughs> if you want one, Vlad. We'll, we'll, yeah. 
we'll, we'll have to uh, hang good. around the car park. <laughs> it's a good. I've, my missus is good at this. So she might. She might fancy it. Otherwise, it's going to be like you know those hand drawn bedsheet signs that get tied to roundabouts and happy fiftieth George. It's going <laughs> to be like at Hammers Pod scrawled in barely legible writing. Or, or the back of a, a well-known delivery company cardboard box. <laughs> As we are now advertising. <laughs> At Hammers Pod, can I have your shirt? Well, boy, it's been a long... I mean, I'll try to think how long this pod's going to be by the time we've edited it. But, uh, cheers, boys. Come on your irons. Come on your irons. Go on your irons. <laughs>